Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, parenting experts like today, and moms around the world. I think we actually could find many wonderful things we enjoy as adults with our free time, just the way you did in recess as a child. It's just that we're out of the habit, and we're very habitual people, so, so when we're used to checking our email 25 times a day, then we just keep doing that no matter what. You don't have to be running around for it to be recessed. It's a release of the soul, and we all need that release of the soul. Bridget Maloney Sinclair has had her baby boy. Woohoo! Congratulations, Bridget. Congratulations, big sister Phoebe. I can't wait to hear every detail uh, and to share it all with you guys. Uh, it's Super Bowl Sunday. I'm pre-recording this intro. I'm a little out of breath. Uh, I just got back from the grocery store. Don't go to the grocery store 30 minutes before the big game. Please remind me of that next year. Uh, okay. I'm going to get grounded. I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to get focused. I'm going to tell you about this episode. Today, I am sharing a really fun and super helpful conversation I had with Heather Shoemaker. She's a journalist who lives in Traverse City, Michigan. Last summer, when we were recording the podcast there, uh, I saw the title of her two books in the window display of my favorite bookstore, Brilliant Books, which is on Front Street. And the name of her books are it's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids, and her first book, It's Okay Not to Share, and Other Renegade Rules for Raising Competent and Compassionate Kids. She's awesome, and she's no-nonsense. I want to go meet her in person. Like, maybe once the snow thaws, I'll make a trip up there uh, because I know that I'm going to have an easier week as a parent because of this conversation. I'll be right back with Heather Shoemaker. Welcome to Atomic Moms. Thanks for having me. Okay, so today I want to talk to you about why it's okay not to share, why you say yes to recess, no to homework, and sometimes to technology. So first of all, when I was listening to It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids, you know, early on in the book, you discuss the importance of taking physical risk. And my daughter is, uh, <laughs> she loves to climb to the highest heights. And I've always been fine with that. We've only had a couple little accidents. I've always tried to be super chill. Um, but I'm wondering if you can give parents a few tips about what to do when they feel their like stomach going into their throat when it comes to watching <laughs> their children <laughs> on the playground. Well, I mean, everybody's going to react differently. As you say, it's really more of the parent issue and the feeling in your gut than it is about what your child needs and so on. So, But we have to pay attention to our feelings because our feelings can be so huge that we prevent our kids from doing things that they need to do. So um, we, we shouldn't minimize or laugh at our own fears here because they're, they're real. Um, but as far as how an adult might react to that, um, you know, look at what where the landing pad is. Is it is it wood chips or is it 
concrete with spikes. I mean, you've got to give some common sense here as far as is, and is it something that, that really, um, given the mood of your child at that moment, that they're grumpy, that they're not feeling very aware of where their feet are, have they skipped their nap, you know, is today the right day for what's going on? So you have to put in your own judgment and your own knowledge of your child. But on the whole, um, kids are ready for as much adventure. They will take on as much adventure as they're ready for. And they've done a lot of research on what's called adventure playgrounds. Um, and they find that there's fewer accident rates when kids are able to sort of test their new version of their body out. You know, who you were a month ago when you're four is not who you are now. Everything's changing. So they're always testing. What can I do? What, what can my body do? And it's like getting a new version of, of yourself every couple of weeks. And so the more they understand their limits, the more safe they actually become and the more that you put safety in their hands, um, the more they take some responsibility for it. Because the truth is kids don't like boo-boos. They don't like, the, I mean, they might like the band-aids if they have cool pictures on them, but they really don't like blood. They don't like to get hurt. No, you're right. Sabrina does treat uh, band-aids just like very expensive stickers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, you're right. They don't want to be hurt. And, you know, I should respect that that she does have a pretty good idea of her space and her physicality and what she can handle and that when she needs help, she'll ask for it and that I don't need to hover. Well, and some kids don't as much. So, you know, it's going to vary. Oh, that's true. But um, one thing that's great is is to help your child develop this awareness of their body and the environment and how high they are and, and so on is to make observations and point things out such as, wow, you're really up high. Do you feel safe? Because a kid who's having so much fun might not even be aware of where she is and kind of look around and think, oh, my gosh, look where I am. And so just that once in a while observation, not that you're screaming, oh, my God, are you safe? Right. But uh, do you feel safe? That can help the child realize, no, I don't. And then instead of bailing them out, um, what my mom always did through the 40 years she worked at preschool was to stand at the bottom of the tree and a kid is freaking out who's climbed too high, who's mm -hmm. suddenly scared, and just say, no, I will not help you down, but I will be here for you. Where could you put your foot? You know, and talk them through it because the more they understand that it's, they got themselves up there, they can get down, what do they need to do to make that happen helps put that, that sense of their own limits into their into their realm of responsibility. And next time they probably won't go as high or they'll learn where to put their foot and what a good handhold is. Oh, man. But yeah, I'm just thinking about your mom and that sort of like that gut-wrenching gut feeling of like, please don't take a misstep. And just sort of the trust that is necessary in parenting. Um, here, I was trying to make a list of the things that really freak me out when it comes to uh, Sabrina and risk taking, and it and she's only three and a half, and she's she's a little wild, and like we you know we spend our summers in Michigan, and sometimes we're with a family that I know that they're when their sons are older, they will probably ride a bicycle off the dock into the water, and just how much that terrifies me. Sort of what will I be able to say when she's older or who, listeners who have middle school children, you know, what we can say about these bigger fears or when our, our friends' children are doing things that do feel kind of too risky for our kids. Well, you have to assess things. Okay. I mean, there's 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 all kinds of, of levels of, of risk and then there's danger. Um, 
So, for example, when can a child cross a road? Or you talked about water. Water is a big deal. Kids can drown, and they do. That's why they have the pictures of the kids drowning in buckets. I mean, it happens, <laughs> little yeah. ones. Um, so when when you're dealing with something big and dangerous, like a very busy road or water and so on, you have to take... Um, you have to take different precautions. You have to have adult supervision to a point. Um, so if a child becomes a very good swimmer, well, then you use the buddy system and have another swimmer, even if it's not a grown-up. But, you know, and crossing a busy road, at some point your child should be able to cross a busy road. And what age is that? It's going to depend on your kid. But, you know, we all have to keep taking these steps as the child advances from three and a half to five and a half to on and on. And taking these baby steps steps when they're in preschool is so helpful because if we don't allow them that freedom and independence that they're craving and will continue to crave through their teen years, they're going to start finding ways to gain that independence in other ways that, that we may not, you know, find safe at all. So um, meet their needs for challenge, independence, and seeking risk, which is healthy and, and adjust it as you go. Um, but if we try to helicopter too much, it, it's going to backfire both for their ability to cope with resiliency right. and, and life challenges and the parent-child dynamic because a healthy child pushes for their limits and pushes for their independence. For sure. Is there a way to say like, let's, you know, when my child is in third grade and let's say she's going skiing with my dad or something, and I would want to say like, hey, Sabrina, a snowboarder will mow you down. Like you've got to look out. What's a better way for me to say that that isn't so, uh, you know, just sort of neurotic and anxiety inducing. Can you give me some language so that my daughter will respect the boundaries that I do place so that she's able to stay safe, but where I also don't seem like an overreactive, you know, whack job? Um, you know, I actually don't mind the snowboarder will mow you down okay. language, you know, because it's clear. And as long as you don't say it too many times, I think <laughs> when kids, well, no, but when, when kids space out on us, um, it's because we're saying, be careful, stop running. You'll break your neck. You'll get hurt constantly. Right. And then they run on the concrete and don't fall down and don't break their neck. And so then they say, oh. Chalk oh that up God. to one more thing. My mom doesn't know anything. Heather, about, we become know? chicken little. Like we, yeah. like as parents, we're chicken little. We're being like, this guy's falling, this guy's falling. So and every, our toddler's like, no, it's time, not. Yeah. Every time you say, be careful. Every time you say, watch out. Every time you say, you'll get hurt. Um, you know, I, I have a fellow author, Vicki Hoffel, who, who has a book called Duct Tape Parenting. And she suggests <laughs> putting duct tape on your mouth, literally or figuratively, and stop saying these things you want to say. Yeah. Chances are they will find out if they're going too fast, if they fall over and skin their knee. Right. You know, um, the director of my childhood preschool, she said, I never tell kids to, to not run, even on concrete. Because the best way to find out that running on concrete is a especially running too fast is a dumb idea is to, is to hurt yourself, right. you know, just get a little banged up and then you might remember next time. For sure. And then, and also if we can put that duct tape on our mouths now, when we are on the side of a mountain or when, um, you know, when there is actual danger, they are much more likely to listen to us. 
Um, yeah. Speaking of playing, in your book, you, uh, you're you a big-time advocate of recess, and you're saying that it's getting cut back in schools across the country. And on top of that, and I found this really interesting, the idea that, you know, teachers are using recess as a threat. So if a kid isn't finishing their homework on time or if they show up late or if they're misbehaving, then they have to skip recess. And you and I guess a lot of studies that you cite say that that's the worst thing you can do for a kid, that like no matter what, recess should be sacred. Can you explain some of the benefits uh, of recess to our listeners who might be thinking of sending to their kids to schools that don't have recess or are thinking like, well, man, maybe I should start speaking up uh, at the parent meetings? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, recess has been under attack because they keep trying to stuff more academic curriculum requirements into the day, and the day is only so long, and children can only take so much. Um, and when when recess is used as, as a punishment, you know, it's the kids who wiggle and poke their neighbors because they, they're having trouble sitting still. They're the ones that are getting recess taken away the most, and they're the ones that actually need it the most. They've, they've done studies with kids with ADHD, so attention deficit disorder. And they're the ones that the more movement and the more recess you give them, the better they're able to do in academics. So it's, it's, it's hurting everybody and it's hurting the kids that need it most when we take it away. Um, recess has so many benefits. I mean, the body, um, the child's brain develops and learns best in motion. So the more we can get kids moving their bodies, the more all the, the circuitry links in, you know, memory and focus and problem solving and impulse control and which helps with behavior in the classroom. It helps with focusing on the academic lesson you're trying to impart. All this stuff is helped um, with, with breaks and with motion. And I think what's really important for people to, to recognize is that um, recess is not just gym class. It's not just let's do some brain gym stretching exercises in the classroom. It, it's, it's bigger than that um, because it's letting the child be themselves again. Um, one little six-year-old said, recess is when I get to be me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when I get to be me again. Um, we try to stuff a lot of things into them, but we have to recognize they are already a person and they have their own ideas and they need to play these ideas out because that's how kids process the world. In fact, they may be processing the history lesson you just told them about or the book you just read by running around and, and, and playing it on the, on the playground. So let them go, trust that they need these breaks. And when they come back, they're able to focus more. Um, I was just interviewing somebody um, with the LINK project, that's LINK spelled with two eyes, and she's instituting four recesses a day in schools starting in Texas and Oklahoma based on um, Finland's model of frequent breaks during the day and getting tremendously um, you know, amazing results across the board, both behavior and academics. So recess is vital, and when we take it away, we're really harming the whole point of why they go to school, which is to learn. It also makes me think of the trouble that we as adults have with having free time and how uncomfortable <laughs> we get with it, right? Like maybe well, really, we, I don't have that problem. <laughs> you don't. Well, you don't because you're like uh, you're in nature all the time. And uh, okay, so tell me what the problem is. Adults don't handle free time. When I was in, and we're going to get to homework, but one of my earliest memories is being in kindergarten and asking my father to make me a homework assignment. 
because I wanted to be like the older kids and have homework. So I have personally have uh, a hard time with free time. And it's important, especially with creativity. And I remember in elementary school that man, that time on the playground was the absolute best, whether that was playing with my friends or climbing too high and falling off the tower. I have a lot of head injuries. But or writing poetry in my journal or choreographing dances that we would perform for the other kids, that that was the best time ever. Um, And I do think that as adults, a lot of us have to put that on check because even when people go on vacation, they're always on their phones. They're always still like trying to keep the ball rolling. And this idea that like, no, no, time out, take a break. This is part of the culture that you're trying to like shake up and be like, no, 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 everybody, like let's get back to play. Let's get back to recess. Let's get back to nature. Let's get back to taking time for ourselves Um, instead of being these sort of robots that just like work, 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 pen to paper. Yeah, you brought up so many good topics because you know, the adults were, were on a treadmill and, and it becomes a habit. It's not, I think we actually could find many wonderful things we enjoy as adults with our free time, just the way you did um, in recess as a, as a child. It's just that we're out as a habit mm-hmm. and we're very habitual people. So when we, we're used to checking our email 25 times a day, then we just keep doing that no matter what. Um, but, and you also brought up with recess that, you know, sometimes you wrote poetry in your journal. That's also recess. You don't have to be running around for it to be recess. It's a release of the soul. And oh. we all need that release of the soul. Yes. Um, I asked a, a child, you know, what's the difference between gym time and recess? And he said, uh, gym time, the teacher tells you what to do and you can't be with your friends. And it's just basic, basic stuff. So you, your soul is released when you're with your friends. It's, you're, you're, you're meeting different needs. Um, I think that, you know, you mentioned timeout. We all need to take a break. Timeout is as far as taking a, a break from normal routine. Um, is pretty much the only timeout I believe in because right. <laughs> I don't believe in working with timeout with, with young children. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also mentioned that you were the kind of kid who liked to do homework, you know, play asking for homework when you were little. That's, that's play because that's playing school. And so, yeah, don't Great give the young point. kids homework, but if they want to have homework and they are um, asking for that and playing school and being the teacher and being the students, that's creative play. You're right. And that was. Something. I never thought of it that way. <laughs> you were playing. <laughs> yeah. But it's only when the child asks for it mm-hmm. that it, it's play. If it's imposed, it, it's, um, you know, then it's taking up their, their time. They could be doing something better with their time. So, so should we dive into homework or are you well, not ready? Well, I'm going to dive into homework, but first I want to ask about why it's okay not to share because that's a big part of recess time. And at least for, uh, you know, my daughter's in preschool and there's tons of open playtime, which obviously is why I was drawn to the school. And, you know, there's a lot of conflict uh, to be resolved with that. And so, Yay, you know, your, that's wonderful. Your your big topic, you know, why it's okay not to share. I'm so excited to dive into this. And I know it's a huge reason a lot of people are listening because it creates so much anxiety for parents. I mean, it is like... For parents, oh. yep. Yep. Yeah. So you, you hit your, the nail on the head there. It causes anxiety for the adults. 
Exactly. (laughs) And it it wastes a lot of our time and it makes our temperatures go up and it just, you know, gives us headaches by the end of the day and it doesn't have to happen. Oh my God. And Heather, we, we start, we also start using like fake voices. (laughs) Like we start. Oh, no, no, it's like this broadcasting, you know, because I know you're a proponent of broadcasting and I think it's a super useful tool. Um, But it's like I'll notice that parents, including myself, will sometimes like it becomes this like passive aggressive broadcasting. Like, oh, you really want some more? You know, you're like you start using this fake, stupid Disney voice while you're broadcasting (laughs) what's happening when really you're trying to manipulate the situation instead of just saying what's happening. Um, And so. For me, with the sharing, my daughter is alpha. And so I'm totally cool with her getting upset and not getting what she wants. I'm totally cool with it. I get uncomfortable myself when she doesn't want to share something and and it hurts the other kid's feelings. And it feels like it makes the other parent uncomfortable. And I did a Montessori tour and my biggest... Like the thing I loved the most about um, the Montessori mommy and me or parent and me thing we did was the idea that you don't share ever. You like have your little tray and then you put your tray back and then you get a different tray. Like they don't even go into it because they know that these little kids, they're not going to get the concept. So high five for Montessori Mm. for like understanding that. Well, let me uh, throw a monkey wrench in that direction. Okay. Um, (laughs) Well, you know, adults dislike conflict and and sharing is one of the biggest everyday conflicts that this age group, you know, the youngsters encounter. So we dislike it so much. We try everything we can to avoid the conflict from happening in the first place. So that particular Montessori school, and just so that listeners know, Montessori can be different depending what your local school is doing. Mm-hmm. There's different, uh, you know, methods within it. Um, but the idea of, uh, okay, this is yours and nobody can touch anybody's, that is uh, one way, there's many ways adults do this, of denying children the experience of conflict. Because right. if we want pe- pe- people with peace skills in the world, that means they have to directly experience conflict, not just once, but multiple times and figure out how to cope with it, how to problem solve and resolve it directly with the person they're having the problem with, not yelling, mom, teacher. And, you know, so directly talking to the child that, that they're having the sharing conflict with mm-hmm. and coping with those huge, big emotions on both sides that come up with any conflict. So if you, both kids want the yellow truck, you know, whatever the conflict Mm -hmm. is, the renegade idea for sharing is just taking turns and the child herself decides when her turn is done. So this could be five seconds. This could be five hours. In some cases, it could be five days, (laughs) depending on your child. But the key is when she's all done, that's the end of her turn. And knowing that there's another child waiting and that that child is mad and frustrated and sometimes hopping mad and screaming mad. I mean, it can be messy and loud, Um, but that's such an important learning on both sides because it's a very fair and simple thing. Kids as young as two get it. She's still playing with it. You can have it when she's done. Mm -hmm. They get that. So the waiting child is learning not instant gratification, not manipulating the adults and saying, she's not sharing, you know, which as soon as they invoke that word sharing, they know they've got all of us jumping. (laughs) 
they, we jump, we do. Totally. And so, so if they, they realize that, yes, you want it, you really want that yellow truck right now. Oh, it's so hard to wait. I will help you. You're feeling angry right now. I will help you with those big, mad feelings. And then I have a whole section in my book, It's Okay Not to Share, about coping with big emotions. Because those are the two things that if young kids can cope with is their emotions. I call it emotional competency. Emotions Mm -hmm. and um, conflict. If they have those two things mastered, the world is theirs. You know, they can cope with future relationships. They can cope with jobs. They can cope with anything because... They can cope with their big feelings, especially the difficult ones like frustration, jealousy, anger, fear, all those things, grief, Um, and they can cope with conflict. But then think about what the child who's standing up for herself is learning. She's learning to set boundaries. No, you can't take it away from me. I'm still busy using it. And then being reasonable, you can have it when I'm done and telling that kid, no, I'm still using it. You can have it when I'm done. And then as kids are learning this, help remind them, remember, Jennifer was waiting. Go find her. I see you're done with the toy. Have you seen, you know, kids when they're done mm-hmm. with the truck, they just drop it. Right. But then, <laughs> and then you're right. But then they're so excited when you remind them and they give it to the other kid and the other kid, you know, like that, then they get oh, to feel yeah. that sense of generosity instead of feeling like Yay. pressured. Yeah. I think so that's, that's amazing. The moment. That's so, the moment because then they feel that rush of good feelings. And that's what we're going for. That's generosity. That's what we, the brain likes that feeling. Oh, it felt so good to give that toy to Jennifer. I know she was waiting and I see the joy on her face and it makes me feel good. And I'm a kind person and I want to do it again when adults aren't watching. Amen. Because that's I the love key. it. Yep. With the forced sharing, which is when the adults just I know, I and just says, hate that. you've had it a long time. I'm going to set the timer and then it's five minutes and then it's Jennifer's turn. Right. Or you try to you pull your hair out and you say, oh, my gosh, I feel like the judge and the referee, not one of these problems mm-hmm. again. You know, we spend so much time agonizing over it. But if we just trust the kids and let them experience it firsthand, because if we decide and we take it out of their hands, we're interrupting their play and we're not helping them set boundaries. Um, and then also it feels terrible. If someone takes something out of your hands when you're busy using it, you feel gross and icky. And that's what totally. the child associates with the word sharing. Sharing is bad. Sharing feels mm-hmm. terrible. I don't want to do it and I won't do it when the adults aren't watching. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If you've been doing this with your kids, don't worry, you know, the standard to be nice and share, but they will develop their natural generosity faster if you do this, wait till they're all done because they will get there despite our parents. I I love this because you're helping me also like with, you know, have a stronger backbone. If she just discovered something and thinks it's super awesome and no one had interest in it before she found it and now she's playing with it and she thinks it's awesome, like it's feels crappy to me to be like, hey, Sabrina, no, now give it to someone else. Like, let her ha- let her enjoy it for a while. But at the same time, it's that internal conflict of not wanting to look like a jerk, which obviously seems to be like a running theme for me is this fear of seeming like a jerk. So moving on with that, as a three-year-old, there's another little girl in our class who's so sweet. And a couple times I have been present when the little girl would come up to my daughter, her classmate, and she would come up very close to my daughter and she said she would say, Will you be my friend? And Sabrina would stare at her and say, No. And it's it's that like internal conflict of 
I feel uncomfortable that the other mother feels uncomfortable. Like, obviously, this other mother doesn't want her daughter to be rejected. I don't want to raise a bully. And at the same time, I don't want my daughter to have to say, yes, you're my friend if she's not her friend or have to pretend to be in relationship with someone if she's not. And so, Heather, what is hard stuff? What's the most delicate way to handle that? Yeah, no, my first my first book, which has is called um, "It's Okay Not to Share," has a huge section on rejection, social rejection, and friends, because we have a tendency. I mean, what you described is so true and so hard. It's hard on on all sides, but it doesn't have to be as hard as we make it. Um, kids, first of all, as adults, we you've already recognized this in what you were just describing to me. But a lot of us as adults think that if they're short, then they're all friends. You know, we even call them friends in the classroom or at the library story hour. All my friends, please sit down. You know, don't hit your friend on the head with the book. Or We just call them friends. Or if the, we're at the playground, we say, I see another friend is coming down the slide. Well, they may not be a friend. They may not be a kid they've even laid eyes on before. Mm-hmm. So we mix them up and we just assume that they're all friends just because they're all short. Um, So there are kids, you know, they have personalities, they have likes and dislikes. They don't have to like every other child they meet. They do have to respect them, you know, respect their boundaries. And when we get to things like, you know, in your example, a little girl who's come up and says, will you be my friend? A lot of kids say no for very valid reasons, such as they're busy doing something else right now, or they're playing with another kid and they can't cope with a third one coming in, like age Mm -hmm. three. Um, developmentally, a lot of kids are still doing parallel play, which is part of natural child development. They may not be able to accept this other kid coming in. Yeah, Sabrina, she has a hard time with that too. Like if she's playing an awesome game and she's with one other person and they've got great chemistry or two other people, like when someone else wants to join in, she – she'll say no, which obviously like makes me sad because I don't want her to be exclusionary, et cetera. Um, but think about it, it this it's, way. It's a thing. You're having coffee with your favorite friend. You haven't, you're catching up and all of a sudden one of your husbands walks in, you know, <laughs> it just changes the dynamic. Totally. Uh, you know, totally. it doesn't mean you don't love him. It doesn't no, mean you don't but it's going to be a have totally different conversation. It changes things. Yeah. Right. And so that's the same thing. And kids can't articulate that so well when they're three or four, they're just going to maybe say no. So there's some things that we can do to make, um, kids be able to stand up for their rights, just mm-hmm. like the yellow truck. I'm busy playing with the truck right now. You can have it when I'm done. Or I'm busy doing this right now. I don't want to play re- with you right now. Or mm-hmm. you know, it's just like it's the same thing as an object is, is how you're going to spend your time. But one thing you can do is, in this case, I want to be your friend, say to both kids, I wonder what a friend does. I wonder what a friend is. Oh, well, a friend is someone who goes and paints because that's what she wants to do. Or, you know, a friend is someone who's going to play tag with me right now. Or a friend is someone who comes to my birthday party. So ask them, what what does she mean by friend? She wants her to be her friend. What does that mean? Does that mean sitting next to her at lunch and the rest of the day she doesn't see her? I mean, so find out what she actually wants. It's like yeah. when kids say, he's mean. Okay, that's a catch-all. What is it that he did that you don't like? He pushed me at the drinking fountain. Oh, well, then you need to tell him, did you like being pushed? No. Okay, then tell him, don't push me. That's different than he's mean. And the same thing, I want to be your friend. Well, what is a friend? What do you mean by that? Or if a child's rejecting uh, what we would call rejecting and saying no, 
um, say, I wonder what would happen if Sarah joins your game. Oh, mm-hmm. she'd, she'd knock over my tower or she'd scribble on my paper. She did that yesterday. You know, or she'd, you know, yeah. we already have a mommy and a baby and we don't need another baby. Well, what if she's the dog? Right. So there's some, if by asking a few questions and not being scared to go there, instead of just keeping these feelings, oh, my kid's a bully, oh, my kid's being rejected, you know, having those doubts and horrible things that eat away at us, um, is just asking a few questions and seeing where it leads. And then being comfortable enough in your own skin to stand up and say, you know, in kind of a no big deal voice, looks Mm -hmm. like Emily's busy right now. Maybe she'll play with you later. So that it's not the end of the world. That's so helpful. No, you're so, that's so helpful. And because you know, you know this, you're the expert, but 10 minutes later, they're ready to play. I mean, that's the thing. It's like this, I'm sharing this example because I think it makes, I, it makes me so uncomfortable. And I'm sure tonight I'll be like, oh, why did I share that example? Like I have so, clearly I have my own like (laughs) feelings of rejection (laughs) wrapped up or something. Well, we all do. I mean, everybody does. I'm so, but they are now, they are friends. Like I picked her up from school the other day and she yelled to the other little girl, like, bye so-and-so. So it is, it's like the part of the issue is me spiraling about how I'm already afraid that at the middle school sleepover that my daughter will be excluding other kids or something. Right. But, and so here's how, how you, I mean, we can't completely say how that's going to happen in, no, in your middle school future. It's all made but, up. <laughs> but give, giving her the skills and the practice that she needs now to cope with these relationships mm-hmm. is what will help prevent some of that. Here's an example. Here's a girl that... Um, a lot. My both my books are based on the philosophy of a preschool in Ohio called the School for Young Children, and I went there as a four and five year old. My mom taught there forty years, and and so there was a girl who went to that preschool who had constant uh, practice with conflict and sharing conflicts and social rejection conflicts and all kinds of conflicts because that's what happens when you give kids true free unstructured play. So here was a girl who was very comfortable with that. She was good at setting limits. She was good with addressing things head on directly with the person. And when she got to be in first grade, there was another little girl who was um, kind of one of those wild ones who hits everybody and, and wants to be friends, but doesn't have the social skills. And she at she went through everybody and everyone rejected her because they were scared stiff of her body (laughs) hitting them. And then she came up to this girl and wanted to be friends. And she said, I don't want to be hit and I don't want to be kicked. And if you don't hit or kick me, I'll be your friend. Awesome. But you can see that she was so comfortable because she'd had experience, even as a six-year-old, setting limits on behavior of somebody else she didn't like and not needing to get an adult to do that. And they did become friends. And that actually turned that little girl's life around because she had somebody finally who was going to be friends with her. Oh, my God. And she probably had no idea that that was why. No. And if only I we mean, could be this honest. Don't. If only we could be this honest. Um, I mean, my brother used, and this is more common with boys, actually, especially at this preschool age. My brother got kicked out of Sunday school as a three-year-old because he would um, <laughs> jump on people from behind and, and strangle them in a half Nelson. You know, he choked, <laughs> and he only choked the kids that he liked. This was an overture of friendship. And a lot of young boys who have uh, less verbal skills than the girls mm-hmm. at these ages and tend to be more physical with their friendships, mm-hmm. especially beginning a friendship. So if you see one kid knock over another kid, 
that may be the beginning of, hey, I like you. Will you be my friend? Yes. There's one so uh, big time hugger yeah, at our right, school. And, but maybe aggressive. if Sabrina would just tell the kid, like, oh, I don't want to hug, but I'll be your friend or, for, or we can hang out. We can play together. Maybe that would help. Because you're right. I feel like – and I'm just thinking of my own relationships, man, limits. I just wish I had learned this as a child, which is why it's so important to help my daughter figure this out. Because then she'll have such successful relationships, hopefully, it's in her really adult life. About, yeah, standing up for ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. as adults, as you just said, how many of us are good at saying no and setting firm boundaries, oh. really identifying what we don't like? And that's a great role that adults can play in these early years is if a child's face changes expression and you say, oh, is there something that he just did that you don't like? You know, because the child himself or herself has to recognize that something's crossed a boundary with them. They have to realize that first before they can solve it. Oh, I didn't like getting splashed. Okay, so no, I didn't like it. Well, then tell him to stop. So first you recognize it, then you take action. And then if if the other kid isn't listening, then the adult has to stand up for their rights and say, I heard Sophie say no splashing. I'm I see your body still splashing her. Can you stop? You know, if you can't, I will help move your body so that you're not splashing. That's excellent. But it's the child setting a limit on the child yes. is what's important. And being clear and direct with the child instead of going through us. Exactly. Unless they need to. So you made quite a splash nationally when you um, declared that with your own children that you were going to do no homework for elementary school. And I read that in your blog that you ended up switching schools. And I'm wondering if you could explain why you have your no homework policy and also help us sort of get the guts to say that ourselves, especially because a lot of our listeners are in L.A. and it's so hard to get a kid into elementary school in the first place that the last thing we want to do is start like ruffling feathers by being like, well, my kid's going to be the kid in the class who doesn't do homework. Yes, and rocking the boat is is scary for many people. I think that when when we see that even kindergartners are getting homework these days, um, you know, sometimes in five subjects in our in our schools mm-hmm. today. Um, and when I wrote about why our family has a personal ban on elementary homework, it was interesting who wrote in. And a lot of times it's people saying, my eight-year-old had three hours last night. He's in tears. How much do you think he likes school? I mean, these stories that come out. And maybe the teacher doesn't think it's going to take your kid two hours, but that's what it takes. So just tell them the situation. Go ahead, make an appointment, and say to your teacher, um, this is what's happening at our house and just explain it, you know, make an observation. He's in tears. It's taking him this number of hours. Um, this is, um, he's getting to bed late. You know, this is not what we want. We want to have joyous learning. We want to have pleasure reading together, like read a bedtime story. We want to be able to just explain what your hopes and goals are and explain what's been happening. And sometimes I like to do the math and say, he gets home at 4.30. He goes to bed at 7. You know, and then, you know, subtract time for supper and all those things. And he's got two and a half hours left. And we believe that he spends a long day in school and needs to concentrate on other parts of his development and his emotions and all kinds of things that will be helpful to support you in the classroom. Um, And this is what we'd like to do as a family. So, People have, um, partly inspired by that post I made, have gone into their teachers and had varying reactions. Um, Hmm. Some of the teachers say things like, 
oh, all right, that's fine. I mean, think about it. Most teachers are just wanting to have supportive, involved families. I mean, that's an ingredient for success. So if they perceive you as supportive and involved, even if you're involved in a little bit different way than they would like you to be, that's good. They know that, you know, they know that you're caring and trying. Um, others have um, have said, okay, well, he doesn't have to do the math and the reading and the spelling, but he still needs to do this every day. So they've had, been given a reduction of homework. Um, but I, just like we were talking about where the conflict is between the child and the child, here's a, a conflict that's really between the two adults, the, the teacher and the school and, and the parent, is instead of hiding your kid's homework, instead of ripping out every other page of their workbook, which people do, instead of doing it for them, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of ways yeah. that we are subversive and try to get around this because we try to avoid the conflict. I believe it's more respectful to go directly to the adult you're having the conflict with and talk directly and share your observations and feelings and see what you can come out with. Um, and if you meet a, you know, there's been some people who've met a my way or the highway kind of reaction and just continued to refuse to do the homework. And their child did not flunk first grade. You know, there's no big requirements that, mm-hmm. the way there are at older ages. Um, but I do want to just mention the research supports all this. Um, there's been research that shows the value of um, homework at the younger ages in elementary school is, is just negligible. Um, they, this is not just one research study, but a review of 180 it's a waste, research studies. Man. Oh, when you think about <laughs> like, shows, all the hours yeah. wasted. That it's highly age-dependent, that any benefits that you're getting are highly age-dependent. So maybe at the high school level, um, though they find anything more than two hours is counterproductive. Middle school, barely statistically significant. And middle schoolers are really getting hammered with hammered. huge amounts of homework. And then you end up in elementary school that um, this is the, the review of all these studies has, has found that there is no correlation at all between the number, the amount of time spent on homework and academic achievement in elementary school. Zero. So, Heather, if I, let's say, I'm going to fast forward a few years um, for my listeners with older children. Let's say I'm able to go to my teacher. You know, I have your your beautiful prompt. I am super convincing. (laughs) And the teacher says, okay, uh, your daughter does not uh, need to do homework. My question is, at that point, do I keep my mouth shut? Or uh, do I tell the other parents and potentially start a coup? Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, get a copy of It's Okay to Go Up the Slide and, and give it to the teacher and get them thinking and maybe give it to another, you know, family to, to get. It's, it's okay either way. I mean, it depends if you feel you have some other kindred spirits around you. But teachers I know are big. I mean, most people who go into teaching are serious educators and they care about how kids learn the best. Right. I find that teachers are reading books like The End of Homework over their summer vacation right. and modifying their, their, their approach For to sure. teaching. But do you tell um, the other parents or no? Like, I have. I have. I haven't broadcasted. I okay. usually talk to the ones I know the best. Yeah. But um, well, they've all read your blog, you so Heather, they know. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, you will encounter parents who completely disagree with you, and in mm. fact, that's one main reason why teachers are assigning so much homework is they're getting pressure from parents. So don't expect just because someone has a child the same age as yours that they're going to 
think this is bad. Some of them want more homework. And if, you, and if the teacher doesn't assign homework in preschool, they kick up a fuss. Right, because they're so afraid be their kid won't get into Princeton. Yeah, you won't have everybody thinking this. Um, but what I found is that when one parent speaks up, whether it's about homework load or having homework at all at these young ages or having to sign off on homework and all those little things, when one parent speaks up, it tends to make everything better for everybody. Mm. And what's better than homework is reading for pleasure, you know, making sure it's pleasurable. And if your child is in that stage of just learning to read, Sometimes learning to read really is hard work for the brain. And what is pleasurable is to have mom or dad read a story. So that's still literacy. It's still learning to read. It's just not actually the child doing it. So whatever it is, do what brings joy. Do what helps your child um, get ready for the next school day. And the best thing there is early bedtime because just like having good recess, Good sleep is what you need to control your impulses and your emotions and to retain memory and focus and problem solving. Those are all enhanced with good sleep. Speaking of sleep, I know that you say to keep your uh, electronics out of your bedrooms and out of your family areas. Um, And I'd like to end this conversation with uh, some tips you have about technology because I feel like a lot of parenting – it feels like we're Goldilocks. It's like with everybody having these opinions, it's like, okay, well, this feels too hot. This feels too cold. Okay, this feels just right. And I I love what you say, what you write about with your son, Miles, when it comes to technology and the idea that, you know, he gets to play Minecraft once or twice a week because that's how he can relate to other kids in his class and that we do live in a world of technology. So it's a way of trying to figure out how do we set limits on it but also make it so that our our kids can benefit from it. Listeners, just go to that section also because I won't spoil it for you, but she's got some really great pointers for us with handling our own technology habits. But I'm wondering if we could end this on the idea that like a lot of our kids freak out when we stop screen time, uh, whether that be a game or a movie. And I would really love for you to share your tip on like how we can drop that drama? Because I thought it was such a great piece of advice. Sure. So um, this is just like anything, technology is something to parent, is something to recognize. And what do we want to parent? You know, when the child goes off on their own, when they're a teenager, or when they leave us finally, um, they, they should be able to cope with technology and be able to set limits on it themselves. And developing that takes time, just like not binging on the chocolate cake. You know, we try to give them some some birthday cake, but we don't want right. them to get sick to their Although stomach. Although I'm, so uh, I'm in my second trimester of pregnancy right now, so there are no right, limits. There are no limits on cake. <laughs> no limits on cake. Um, so also, there's a lot of antagonism, just like sharing, between the adults and the kids, when oh, yeah. actually it, it's the wrong people. So in the Minecraft example, instead of having it be the adult saying, stop, you've been on it too long, and the kid flying off the handle and getting all upset, and it becomes a parent-child conflict, what it really needs to be is the child um, trying to set limits herself on her own impulses and the lure of technology. So it's her against the machine, not her against you. So trying to say, um, you know, (laughs) just setting up the right conflict and saying, yes, you can play this game. You are responsible enough. You are old enough to do that. 
show me that you're responsible enough to play this game by turning it off when your time's up. Because if you can't stop immediately, like that second, (laughs) then you're showing me you're not old enough to handle this because computers and screens are very, very powerful draw on us. And adults have trouble with this too. So you've got to um, hit the right opponents together. And the kids get really super proud when they can stop and be more powerful than the machine. I love that. Okay, everybody, Heather Shoemaker's podcast is Renegade Rules, and it's you can find it on iTunes. Uh, don't forget to pick up her books or listen on Audible to It's Okay to Go Up the Slide, Renegade Rules for Raising Confident and Creative Kids, and also the first book, It's Okay Not to Share, and other Renegade Rules for Raising Competent and Compassionate Kids. Um, they're both published by Random House and they're available on Amazon. I'll have them on our blog, atomicmoms.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at itunes.com backslash atomic moms, a new episode every Tuesday. And you can go into our archive of over 115 podcasts, uh, on social media. Give us a shout out at atomic moms and Heather. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your work and your viewpoint with us. Uh, I, I feel like a renegade compatriot with you. Um, And I appreciate all that you're offering to parents. Good. And thank you. And and the more renegades we have, the less lonely it is and the easier it is to parent this way. So find a buddy, turn them into a renegade, and then you'll have company. We're starting a revolution right here. Yeah, right here. Okay. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Okay, listeners, until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness, rock on, Atomic Moms.